Today's reading is Luke, chapter 1, verse 57 to 80. It can be found on page 944 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and through the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. The word of the Lord. Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Our, our gracious God, um, we, uh, we might know that you are talked about as gracious and loving and forgiving. Um, but we might have varying levels of believing it, experiencing it. We come into this place and to some degree, you know, to get to this point where we, we show up in a place like this and we sit down, um, there's some sense of a draw to you. There's something you've been doing in our lives. Um, but it's so different for each and every one of us. Whether we come from a long you know, journey of of faith, a, a really something that feels like something that's been a part of us for a long time, or something that feels really new and uncomfortable, maybe awkward to, to be around people singing uh, words of deep faith. And so uh, we come from places of, of questioning or of thanking you or longing or um, some sadness and grief and loss in the room today. And with all these things, God, help us to know as we come before your scripture, help us to know that we're all in the same boat in one important way. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. And your message, the message of Advent, the message of 
you visiting our messy planet is that you enter into our mess and then you end up taking it upon yourself on the cross through the person and work of Jesus, your son, to stand in our place and to give us what was rightfully his and we become children of our Father in heaven. And as we hear that, that speaks to our souls and we want to believe it, but many things stand in our way. So help us clear those out today and to hear your voice. Amen. I want to talk today about going verbal. And uh, what I mean by that is uh, there comes a point in, in varying, uh, there's varying examples of it. There comes a point in life where there's something inside, there's something you believe strong enough uh, or you've experienced or something you're encountering and it has to come out, it has to get expressed. Um, in some ways, our, our culture has a little bit of hesitancy about this. You know, we talk about oversharing, right, and TMI. You know, we have a little thread of like, well, let's keep that stuff inside, let's be guarded. But, you know, every once in a while we have examples of it. You might have an example over the holidays where um, someone goes verbal. You know, you're with the family, close quarters, several days, tensions rise and someone just, it just snaps, it just boils up and someone has to say something and then you have to process it. Some of you in January are going to say, I had a great example of someone going verbal or I went verbal, you know, and it wasn't pretty. Um, or you got the great examples. I think one of the, the most beautiful examples of this is uh, it's more planned and scripted, but at weddings, in the reception, when someone close to one of the people in the wedding um, stands up, you know, and it's sort of scripted, it's sort of a tradition, and yet it ends up being, in most cases that I've seen, very genuine and, ex and really just giving a chance to voice a lot of the great things that are there, um, bubbling up, waiting for an opportunity to be voiced, you know. I mean, imagine, where else in life do you, would you have someone uh, who knows you just speaking praise about you and talking about how great you are and how great the person you've chosen is in, in front of all these people. I mean, it's really an amazing thing to think about, someone going verbal in that kind of positive way. So we have these examples. And the, the sermon series that we're in is basically could be called Going Verbal because it's, it's as, as Jesus is announced as coming into this world, the reality of the incarnation of Christ's coming is, is breaking in, as the Gospel of Luke tells it. We have all these different people at the beginning of his Gospel who go verbal. Mary breaks out in song. Elizabeth breaks out in a blessing. We looked at them last week. Zechariah, that we're looking at this week, he breaks out in song. Um, then there's uh, Anna and Simeon. We're going to focus on Simeon at the end, but there's also John the Baptist, Zechariah's son. They all break out into words. They all go verbal. The interesting thing, though, is that today we're looking at Zechariah, and he's the only one whose instance of going verbal about the coming of Jesus involves a conversion He's the only one in these who really has to be converted in the midst of going verbal. And we know because the first time we meet him, which we didn't read, but the first time we meet him, he's doubtful, and he basically says to the angel Gabriel, I'm not ready to start singing about this. I have questions. I have doubts. I have uncertainty. And the Gospel writer Luke, he, it's interesting how he's got all these different things about him that make this interesting. The Gospel writer Luke is interested in presenting credible witnesses, real-world historical witnesses uh, to who Jesus is and to what he means for this world uh, so that you might really know the truth of what happened. So he, he's, he's also a, 
a scientific historian of sorts, so he's gone back and he's, he's dug up stories that aren't in the other Gospels. You know, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke has a, a few of these little vignettes and narratives that we haven't heard anywhere else. We don't see them in the other stories because he's, he's that kind of historian. Uh, he wants to make sure there, there's this, this base of credibility around the coming of Jesus. And then at the end of the Gospel and into the book of Acts that Luke also wrote, there's more of this focus on witnesses, witnesses, witnesses. And so as... Zechariah gets the chance to be the first witness, the first person to go verbal, but then doesn't. The angel Gabriel basically says, and this is, so this is just background as to what we didn't read tonight. Um, the angel basically says, oh, you're not going to go verbal. Well, you know what? You're not going to go verbal for a really long time then. You're not going to even have the chance to verbalize anything until after your child is born, after the, these things have taken place. So it's just a kind of interesting thing that the angel Gabriel does um, that brings about Zechariah's final, finally going verbal, like we read this uh, just now. I think about that, you know, um, in the real world, uh, if, if a, uh, a woman who's maybe towards the end of a, a nine-month pregnancy, going through it with a, um, her husband, father of the child, um, I wonder how women who've gone through pregnancy would view this story. So, you know, here you've got this, this, this husband who's basically been... Um, you know, he can't speak. And I would think there might be a little bit of envy to that, that, you know, some woman might say, you know, all I wanted was my husband during pregnancy to just shut up and listen. <laughs> this is like the, the, the first real miracle in the Bible, right? <laughs> this is, you know, having had four kids, I kind of know some of the dynamics of pregnancy and that it, uh, people who might go through that someday, that is a good lesson. Men, sometimes you just got to shut up and listen. But Zechariah, really, what we see, we see him as refreshingly human. Of all these examples, some of you might say, you know, Mary, Elizabeth, uh, John the Baptist, Simeon, I think you'll find Zechariah refreshingly human because he brings that, the doubt. He's not ready to jump on board right away. He needs time to process and figure this out. And Luke is being careful, even in this first verse already, what's interesting about this is that he's using the story of Zechariah also to teach us about what it's like to become a Christian. He's subtly teaching us already with this first person that we meet in this story. He's teaching us of what it's like to be converted to the Christian faith. What's really going on there? Um, so, you know, what are you converting to and how does it happen? We're going to look at those two things as they come out of the story. What, what is someone who's uh, converting to the Christian faith? What, what, to, or to get the grammar right, to what are they converting and basically what Gabriel makes it really clear in the story, so I'm just giving you a little more of the background, that Gabriel makes it really clear in his appearance before Zechariah that what he is having trouble with is the gospel. Um, the word he uses, the word the angel uses, as um, Zechariah asks the angel in chapter 1, verse 18, which, um, you know, if you have a Bible nearby, uh, I will be looking at a few different things here. If you like having it open and that helps, go for it. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And basically, part of the answer is Gabriel saying, I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this gospel. Translation says good news, uh, but it's the same word that's used elsewhere to, to say gospel. Now, what, what am I trying to say? How do we know that uh, his conversion is that of the gospel? Well, you can look at him and look at a couple of things that happen. First of all, you know that he's converted to the gospel because he transitions out of the world of 
pedigree and religiosity into the world of grace. He transitions out of the world of pedigree and religiosity into the world of grace. When we first learn about Zechariah in chapter 1, verse uh, 5 and 6, it describes him and Elizabeth, his wife. It says that there was a priest, so he's, he's a priest, named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So he's got the, he's got the pedigree. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. So he has a pedigree, but also there in verse 6, he's got the religiosity. So you'll see that in chapter 1. And then after his, when he goes verbal, in later, 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 the part we read today in in chapter 1, what does he say? Um, Particularly, if you look at verse 74, he says, that part of what's happening is that God is coming to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear. Someone who puts their... uh, Someone who thinks that the way I'm going to connect with God is through my pedigree... I have the right connections, I have the right genealogy, whatever, your pedigree. Or your religiosity, I've done this, I've done that, I've done this, and that's what's going to connect me with God. Would not pray the way that Zechariah ends up praying. Because he ends up basically saying, I don't rescue myself by my pedigree or my religiosity, and I don't enable myself. I don't enable myself to move into this kind of service of God in holiness and righteousness before all our days. I don't, I, I don't rescue myself. I don't make myself holy and righteous. God does it. That's what he sings about. That's how he goes verbal. He's experienced a transition, a conversion to the gospel. It's a crucial transition that, that if you think about your own life, you'll catch yourself. You'll, you'll realize you're making the same mistake that Zechariah did. Basing things on your pedigree, basing things on what you do, your religiosity, and, you're, and, you're, and you can't get away from that. It's like you need, you need a change. You need to shift in order to get the grace of God. Something needs to change. Zechariah makes that change. And then if you, if you look also, here's another shift that he makes. If you look at um, chapter 1, verse 18, and you hear the, the pain and the sorrow, in a sense, the humanity of Zechariah's voice, how can I be sure of this, he says, So this is before he goes verbal. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. And you can hear the pain and the struggle of the biggest personal issue in Zechariah's and Elizabeth, his wife, the biggest personal issue of their whole life so far, the biggest personal challenge that he's had to deal with. And he's when he says, how can how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Their biggest struggle has been they have not been able to have children. And now here comes this promise that he really is. And he's, it's almost too good to be true and he can't let himself believe it. He's been hurt too much. There's deep personal stress and anxiety and hurt and woundedness around this issue and you can hear it almost in his voice. Now, if Zechariah um, is still in that same place with respect to that issue. If that issue still looms so large in the forefront of his mind when he has his conversion and goes verbal, then his 
song would sound a lot different because what he doesn't do is he doesn't sing and say, God has seen how hard it's been for me not to have a child and he has, he's fixed my problem. He has given me a child. He doesn't, he doesn't go that way at all, actually. And he goes a very different kind of interesting way when he goes verbal. He doesn't go, he gave my wife and I a baby, but he says, as we get into verse 60, uh, uh, we go, get into verses 77 and 78, he says, he mentions that what's happening through God is all about and happening through the forgiveness of their sins. And then he says, because of the tender mercy of our God. That's really what he's singing about. He's not singing about his, the thing that used to be his biggest life issue. Um, now somehow has shrunk. Now somehow has kind of moved to the side. And he's singing about the tender mercy of God and the forgiveness of God. It seems like, in a sense, that has nothing to do with this personal issue of, oh, I wish, I wish we could have children. I wish we could have children. Um, it's been an embarrassment. It's been a social issue for us. It's been a personal issue. I wish this would get fixed. It doesn't seem like he's singing about that when he talks about God's tender mercy and God's forgiveness. What's going on? Well, basically, when you look at your life and you say, this is... This problem that I'm struggling with, this issue in my life that's looming large, this is, this is the big thing in my life, and what really what I need most is this issue to get fixed. Or I can't live. I'm not going to be able to live with joy. I'm not going to be able to be happy. I'm not going to be able to... I just can't continue like this. This issue needs to get fixed. Basically, if you look at um, the New Testament and you understand what the, what the gospel is, basically, if that's your outlook, then you're not yet getting the gospel. The gospel yet hasn't, hasn't transformed your heart. Because the gospel basically says this. Imagine a day when in the future, just imagine this. So you've got the, you're thinking about this, this issue, this problem that I think, God, I'm even praying, God, fix this issue. God, this is looming. This seems to be the thing that is on my mind that hurts. This is what I want you to deal with. Okay, the gospel basically says, imagine a day in the future when you are full of joy, morning to night, Praise that you receive from others doesn't inflate you. Criticism doesn't deflate you. And that huge problem that was looming that you thought this needs to get fixed now looks like something that is small that can, can have no way of robbing you of the joy that you have even for a minute. And... And that's exactly what the gospel does because basically the transition of the gospel is to transition from what you want God to give you to finally being satisfied and settled that you have God. And when you have God, that's when you start to sing things like, because if you have God, if you're close to God, and if, you, if God is really connected with you, then you see that he's full of tender mercy. And you see that the only way you really connect with God is through his forgiveness of your sins, not your religiosity, not your enabling yourself to be righteous, not your religiosity, not your pedigree. That's the only way you can sing like this. That's the only way Zechariah can sing like this is because God has become more important to him than what God might give him. Um, and and this, is what, this is what, so what is the starting point for getting that? It's interesting because this passage doesn't push away the, his, his life issue of having a child. He doesn't push that away because your personal issue that is looming before you is actually the starting point. 
It's a place where you, where you start to go to God, you start to, to pray to God. You, it's exactly the starting point where you start to realize that as you peel away the layers, actually there's something, there's a desire way deeper than that that you need filled. And once that's filled, those shallower things um, become, well, okay, we can work, we can still have joy, we can work with this, even if this doesn't pass right away on my timeline. All right, so that's, that's what Zechariah is converting to. That's what you are converting to if you're connecting with the Christian faith and if you're uh, eventually going to get to the point where it comes out, it, it has to express itself somehow. Somehow it has to go verbal in a sense because it's just there. It's a deep part of you and you've, you've had this transformation. But how does it happen? Well, it's a Holy Spirit process. This passage shows us that. that the, the only way this happens is that it's a Holy Spirit process. Let's first just deal with the issue of it being a process. Who is Luke writing to as he writes this gospel? And as he begins the story, he writes, he writes this, this history of the life of Jesus, and we call that style of writing, another, it's a little confusing because we also use the word gospel for that, right? So this is a, a gospel can also mean sort of a literary style, but it also means the good news of Jesus. So as Luke writes his history of the life of Jesus, who's he writing to? It's very interesting. He starts out, again, right here on the same page that we've been looking at. He describes who this person is, and it is um, this person named Theophilus, and I'm just going to read what he says as he introduces the telling of this story, right before he gets into the story of Zechariah. He says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, and then he's going to list this person he knows, for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Get a sense that maybe this Theophilus has, has a lot of maybe intellectual wavering around the things he's been taught. He, he's got a lot of things he's still not sure of. He's trying to figure out. He doesn't quite have the certainty. And then the first person that he's given in the story is Zechariah who says, how can I be sure of this? You get a sense that here you have Theophilus. He's in process. It's a process. He's in process of this conversion. It's not just like a snap thing for Theophilus. You get that with Zechariah. He's going to take at least nine months, maybe a year, to kind of come around on what the gospel is and what it means for him personally. You have this throughout the Bible. I love the idea of Nicodemus. Uh, yeah, Nicodemus is the one who comes to Jesus in the Gospel of John in sort of the beginning, but then you also see him at the end. And when he comes in the beginning to talk to Jesus, he comes, um, it's done very, with clever literary devices. He comes in, at night, it's described very specifically. So it's kind of like he's real hesitant. He doesn't even want people to know. He's coming in the darkness, and he's, but he's, he's asking questions and debating with Jesus. And so at that point, he's really unsure and uncertain. But then at the end of the Gospel of John, he's one of the two people who helps carry and bury the body of Jesus. Which I guess isn't exactly going verbal, but it's one of those situations where you say, well, actions speak louder than words in terms of the transition that's happened in his life and what Jesus has meant to him. I just think it's really refreshing to know that the incremental conversion is on the Bible's radar. It's, it, it's on the Bible's radar. It's a part of the mix of things. Sure, Mary and Elizabeth, they break out. 
And so the kind of cool thing that Luke likes to do with that is to say, well, Zechariah had his chance, the man you know, with all the connections and the one who had this amazing thing of being the one who was chosen to go into the temple and to burn, light this incense. It was this incredible thing that he got to do and then he didn't get it. He just didn't get it. He wasn't ready to go verbal. And so Luke says the women will voice this first. And in that culture, uh, unfortunately, women, women's testimony wasn't considered to be uh, valid or valid enough um, as a, like a, a definitive deal. So Luke is saying, ah, with the gospel, things all kind of, conventions all get kind of jumbled up and transformed. And so the women will speak first. So they speak quick, they get it right away, but the Bible's also saying incremental conversion is, is part of the deal. As everyone basically is, um, who's encountering the gospel is reorienting from this viewpoint that I'm sure was going on with Zechariah of, okay, I think it works like this. I think I obey and I work real hard in order to get accepted by God and then getting transformed and reversing it and realizing that, no, God's acceptance has come to me through the coming of Jesus. Therefore, I have this joy and desire to figure out now how to obey because his acceptance has moved into the center of my life. That takes so long to make that transition. In fact, it takes a really long time for a lot of people to initially make that transition in how, how you think about your relationship with God. But then it takes a lifetime. I know for me it does. It takes a lifetime of continual reorientation back to that path, that, back to that's how it works. That's the gospel that's grace. So it's a process. And I also mentioned, just in closing, I mentioned that it's the Holy Spirit. It's a Holy Spirit process. And just simply to say this, if you notice when he sings, another thing Luke loves to do, so he mentions his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It's a Holy Spirit process. It's a Holy Spirit thing. Um, Luke uh, is, you know, Luke talks about the Holy Spirit all the time, but the Holy Spirit's doing all these different, all these different kinds of things. It's pretty hard to categorize how this third person of the Trinity uh, operates and what his job is, but it seems to be sort of the finisher of our faith, the one that starts to tie together those loose ends and bring us about to the point that we might actually go verbal, that we might express the faith that's within, that he's developed. Um, and so I don't like to get real rigid about what we expect or how you manipulate, in a sense, what the Holy Spirit does, um, or that even this idea that maybe you've been exposed to, if you've been in the world of churches, you know that people tend to think, oh, it's the Holy Spirit if it's really strange. You know, the stranger it is, the more you know the Holy Spirit's at work. Well, I don't know. Luke doesn't seem to think that way. Sometimes when people just, just say something really true and authentic about faith, that's the Holy Spirit at work, and that's what Zechariah does. And so, what, but what we do know from Luke is this simple thing. When in chapter eleven, when he talks about prayer, he says basically that God is like a father who knows how to give good things to children who ask for it. And um, what what he says as he finishes that is he says, "Well, doesn't the Father know how to give good gifts um, to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask?" So one thing we know about the Holy Spirit is that we can ask. We can open up our hearts. We can open up our lives to the Holy Spirit. Let's do that now as we close. Our God of grace, whether we find ourselves and we think uh, maybe we're a little bit like Nicodemus in our quest for um, figuring something out, whether we're like uh, Theophilus or Zechariah, uh, or maybe we find ourselves more to be like a Mary or Elizabeth, wherever we are, help us do uh, business. 
Help us to do business with your tender mercy and the forgiveness that heals our hearts and satisfies our deepest longings. Help us also to see the areas in our lives where we're chasing after things that will end up seeming small, whether it be the problems or issues in our finances or the problems or issues in relationships or the problems or issues in our children's education or our career or our physical beauty, that we're chasing after things that will pale in comparison to the joy we have when we find you and when you find us and when we know your tender mercy. And as a church, God, please help us to keep making room for those who are on a journey, who are on a process, who your Holy Spirit is preparing to have a kind of a faith um, that someday might be expressed, but now is in process. Help us to remember what it's like not to believe and to walk alongside everyone as they journey closer towards you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.